we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. We need a new society, and that society is not going to be created by anybody except by you. I don't think we feel the immense responsibility of this. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge beauty, intelligence and authority. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is society. Upcoming themes are meditation, individuality and peace. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in the UK. For more information about activities and programmes at Brockwood, such as the Krishnamurti Retreat Centre, Brockwood Park School, and more about the Foundation, please visit our website at kfoundation.org. You can also find our daily quotes and videos on Instagram and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. This week's episode on society has five sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth question and answer meeting in Ojai, 1981, titled What is your relationship to society? I'm appalled at what is happening in society today. I do not want to be a part of it. And yet I realise I am not separate. What is my relationship to society? What is your relationship to society? Why do you, if one may ask most respectfully, why do you separate yourself from society? Society is an abstraction, is it not? Society is put together by man in his relationship with another. Right? I want to be fully. But we have said, I am separate from society. And so I act upon society. I want to change society something abstract, it's not an actuality. Society's opinion, judgment, uh, the economics, the political activity, uh, all of that is part of what you call society. 
that society is built by us, by our parents, grandparents, all the rest. It's built by us. So we are that. You know, this is, huh? is this also another revolution? Society is not separate from me. I am the society. I'm not saying this, the speaker is not saying this because he's a communist or any of that kind of thing. Communists have maintained this as a theory. And they, as a theory, they've said, change society, control it, shape it, uh, become a dictator, totalitarian, then man will change. You, you know all that business. Whereas in the contrary, man has created it. Unless man changes, society cannot change. Unless the computers come along with their robots and change the whole structure of economic society. You follow all this? So, you are, one is not separate from society. One is the world. So if one realizes that, you would never put this question. Then the problem is, not the question is, what am I to do? How am I to radically transform myself? That's the real question. How am I not to be self-centered everlastingly? All self-centered activity come to an end. We never ask these questions. So, at your leisure moments, please ask these questions. When you're not totally occupied with your pleasures, with your occupations, with wanting to be somebody of success, you know, all the rest of it, perhaps you'll be of time to ask this question. Ask it and remain with it. Not try to find, remain with the question. Then see what happens. Because you, if you say, I must change myself, who is the man, who is the entity that's demanding change? Is still, you understand all this? So one discovers that the thinker is the thought. There is no thinker apart from thought. There is no experience apart from experience. There is no analyzer apart from the analysis. 
that which is analyzed. So when you realize that, there's totally different movement takes place. The second extract is from the third talk in Madras, 1985, titled Each One of Us Has Built Society. Sorrow is not only your sorrow, your personal sorrow, (coughs) but there is the sorrow of the world. sorrow of those people who have been killed in the war, maimed, blind, no arms and no legs, just the body, toes, and their relatives. How many mothers have cried, sisters, wives, lovers, and so on. Don't you know all this? Or are you only concerned with your own sorrow? If you are honest, we say, sorry, I'm only concerned with my own sorrow. I recognize this sorrow of others, those people who are dying in Beirut, Nicaragua, San Salvador, Vietnam, they are so far away, it doesn't touch us. So there is <coughs> personal sorrow and the sorrow of the world. Right? It is still sorrow. Your sorrow is like the sorrow of another. Your sorrow is my is one sorrow when one loses one's son, wife, husband. And what a lot of fuss we make about it. Weeping, crying, wanting comfort. And there are all the sorrow of thousand million human beings who are suffering also like you. And this sorrow, like fear, like pleasure, is common to mankind. It's the sorrow of humanity. And that sorrow has never ended. Probably it will never end, because we have made the world so monstrous. The society which we have built, society doesn't exist by itself. We have built it through our fear, through our greed, through our 
selfishness and monstrous activity. This society is corrupt beyond words. We have made it because we are corrupt. And this corruption is self-interest primarily. And so society is not going to help us. Religions have not helped mankind. They have not prevented wars. Though you talk endlessly of non-violence, peace in the world, I must have peace in my mind, you know, all that nonsense. There is sorrow in the world. And is that, can sorrow end? Perhaps you never ask even that question. We suffer and put up with suffering, take comfort in some religion or some doctrine or some belief. It's a strange fact, isn't it? If one loses one's wife or son or a relative, we carry that pain all our life. Don't you? You have a photo, the photo of my son on the desk. I weep quietly to myself, or I weep publicly, which is with my friends. We never say that's the end of it. We never carry the memory of pain. It's not brutal. Put away the pain of loss in two or three days, not through years, which doesn't mean that, that there is carelessness. On the contrary, there is everlasting talk about one's own son or husband having died. You keep that up. It's a form of entertainment there. Gossip. I'm sorry if I put it brutally. So we are asking whether sorrow can end. Not this sorrow of the world, or there are going to be wars, because human beings are violent. They cry their own son killed in a war. But your son is quite safe. So society which we have built, which each one of us have contributed to this society, to the political world, to the world of nationalities, their divisions, that will go on. Because 
vast number of human beings want all that. Voting for some So, you will say, if I end my sorrow, if that's possible, what effect has that on the rest of the world? Like asking, if I free myself from all the trivialities of life, all the pain and the anxiety, the loneliness and the sorrow of my life. I want to cry for you. Because all this is to you meaningless. You will ask yourself, why? Free myself from sorrow, what what will affect the world? Will the world change because I changed? That's a wrong question. Because when you ask such question, you are finding an excuse not to change. That becomes an easy way out from your own change. And you say, well, it doesn't matter if I change or not, because we're all like that. And I must live in this world. So I, I listen to you. Sounds good. But I'll carry on my own way. So Asking a question, what will, if I change, will the world change? They said, totally wrong question. Then you are looking for a reward and punishment. If you radically change, you will find out whether it has an effect on the world or not. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's second question-and-answer meeting in Sanan, 1982, titled Is it possible to not contribute to the cruelty of society? I have lived in, the for- in a forest close to nature. There is no violence there, but the, out- the outer world is the real jungle. How am I to live in it without becoming part of its competition, brutality, violence and cruelty? First, how easy it is to live by yourself in a wood. 
I tell my friend I have done it without any boast or anything. It is natural. I have done it. It is very easy because you are not related to anybody. You look at the trees, the rivers, the plant, they, they invite you to look at them. The more you look at a tree, the more beautiful it becomes. The shadow, the leaves fluttering in the wind. There is no, it doesn't demand anything of you. You are enjoying yourself, listening to the birds, to the sound of water, to the lovely clear morning. And one is tempted to live like that forever. But you can't. Even there, if you live in a forest, you are related to somebody or something. You are related to the man who brings you milk. So there is always even though one is a hermit, you are always living in a certain kind of relationship with another. And if you are a neurotic saint, then it becomes very easy. Most saints are neurotic. And then they give you food, clothes, and all the rest of it. So, when one enters the world, the trouble begins. The world which human beings have created. Not only the past generation upon generation, which has created this society, but also all of us are contributing to it. When you buy a stamp, when you post a letter, you are contributing to all. When you take the train, you are contributing to all. So you might say, I won't take train, a train, I won't post a letter, I won't telephone, I won't pay taxes, and so on. Taxes are rather difficult. The government will be after you if you have money. So what will you do? Withdraw completely? Not write letter? Not travel? You understand, sir, this is the question has been put to the speaker often. Say you are against war, peace and so on, but you are contributing to it. By travelling all over the world. So where shall I stop? You understand? Not write letter, not travel, 
not do all the things that are contributory, that give help war? Or do you ask much more fundamental question? Which is, why does war exist at all? Why has man, who is so called civilized, so called educated, why does he support killing another, another human being? So what is the fundamental question there? Is it nationality? Is this this whole idea of isolation, national isolation, individual isolation, communal isolation? When I put on a monk's robe or a different kind of robe, I am isolating myself. So is isolation the cause of war? Obviously. When I say I am British, you are French, you are this, you are that, I am isolating myself. I have a long tradition as a British or an Indian. If I am an Indian, I have much more ancient tradition, which is isolating me. So, any form of isolation must contribute to war, which is war being not only killing each other, but the conflict with each other. Right? Now, seeing all that, which requires intelligence, not just vague utopian idea, seeing that, the perception of this fact that where there is isolation of any kind, belonging to one group against another group, one sect against another, one uniform of purple, yellow, isolating, these are the actual contribute, contribute to isolation and therefore inevitable conflict. To perceive that, to see the truth of it, requires intelligence, not say, I agree with it, and do nothing about it. But when I see the truth of it, that very perception is the action of intelligence. So, with that intelligence, I enter the world. But see, that intelligence which has no cause, that love that has no cause, compassion obviously cannot have a cause. With that beauty, with that clarity, with that energy, I meet. I meet the world which is brutal. 
I act from that love. Or rather, that love that has no cause acts. I may be a beggar, or a very good technician, but the quality of that can never enter the world of ambition, brutality, violence. Now, my friend says, I understand. I understand very clearly what you say. I have grasped intellectually what you have said, superficially. Now, how am I to capture it? How am I to hold it as I hold breath, as I breathe, hold something so enormous? What is method? What is the system that will help me? Of course, obviously, when you follow a system, you're gone, finished. Because you want to achieve that state of real love. And you, you want to achieve because you are unhappy, therefore you have a motive. Therefore it's not intelligence. Therefore it's not love. So when you have this perfume, then you can go through the world, never that perfume losing its beauty. The fourth extract is from the fourth talk in Sanan, 1972, titled Society creates an image in us. Our image, which we have about us, ourselves is created by society, by the culture in which we live. The culture says, compare, measure yourself against another. Right? Compare yourself with the hero, with the saint, with a clever man, with a man who puts words into pages, on pages, or a sculpt. Compare yourself from the, from the beginning to the end. You are comparing, aren't you? No? Measuring yourself. And this Measurement is part of our culture. And so you say to yourself, I am clever or I am dull. You are dull in comparison with somebody who is clever. You are following all this? More learned, more subtle, more intelligent, more something when you have a measure, there must be the more or the less. Right? That's part of our culture. Now I'm asking myself, 
Why do I have this measure? It has been given to me, or I have carefully cultivated myself. The bigger car, the bigger house, the bigger mind, the gradual process of attainment, you know. The whole process of our existence is based on measurement. The rich, the poor, the you know, build it up. The the man who is healthy, the man who is unhealthy, the man who is a saint and sinner. Now can the mind live without measurement? Which means comparison. Can you? Have you ever tried psychologically never to compare? You have to compare when you get the uh, cloth. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. When you have to compare a house, or building a house, you know, there it's necessary. But psychologically, which is part of our, inher- of our inheritance, like Jesus, like the Buddha, like some, you follow? It's our inheritance. We are brought up from childhood to measure, which is the part of our hurt. You follow? If I have no measurement, I am not hurt. Now what am I to do? I measure. You sit there and the speaker sits on a platform, there is a division, height and low, you follow? And you say, but Joe, how does that man sitting there know so much? I know so little. You following all this? This comparison, everlasting. And when you compare, you become inferior or superior. And in comparison you come to a conclusion. And that conclusion brings about neurotic habits. I conclude about something, right, through comparison, and I hold on to that comparison, that conclusion, irrespective of facts of mm, what is real. I, because I have compared, I have watched, I have uh, learned, I hold on. Haven't you noticed it? And that is a state of neuroticism, isn't it? Now, why is it, why do I compare? Partly habit, partly inheritance, partly it is profitable, and through comparison 
I feel I am alive because I am struggling. Right? I am fighting to be like you, and that gives me vitality. I get depressed and all the rest of it. So I am asking myself, is it possible to live a life in which there is no comparison at all and yet not be satisfied? The moment I do not compare, is there satisfaction in what is? You follow? Or when I cease to compare, then I am face to face with what is. And when I compare, it is an escape from what is. Right? And therefore it is a waste of energy, and I need energy. There must be energy to face what is. You are following all this? So have I g- am I dissipating energy through comparison? And if I am, and I have an insight into all this which you have said, which is your insight, not mine, then you have energy which is not wasted through comparison, measurement, feeling inferior, superior, depressed, all the rest of it. Therefore you have energy to face what actually what is, which is yourself. How do you know that you are dull? or unintelligent, because you are comparing with somebody else and therefore you say, I am intelligent. If you don't compare, are you dull? Only you don't know. So you begin to face things. You understand? Come on, sir, move. So we have many, many images, a collection of images, religious, economic, social, uh, images based on relationship and so on. These images are deep down conclusions. And if I do not analyze or use dreams as a means of analysis, if I am awake during the day and watch, then I the problem is non-existent. I wonder if you see this. Thought has created the problem. The thought that says, yes, that is so, I compare, I have images, I have been heard, I must go beyond them. It is thought that saying it. It is thought that created these images. Right? So thought is creating a problem about the images. You are following? And when you see the truth of it, then thought doesn't make it a problem. Right? God's sake, see how extraordinarily simple and subtle and beautiful it is. If you see that once finished, then you are you have energy to face actually what is. <laughs>
so you can then say, what am I? If I am no longer comparing, you follow? No longer imitating, comparison means imitation, conformity. If there are no hurts, no conclusions, and therefore no image, what am I? I am all these things, right? The thought says, I must analyze, I must go beyond this, I am in conflict, I must. You follow? It is thought that created all these images, divisions. And it's thought that says, I must go beyond all this to live a peaceful, heavenly, quiet life of enlightenment. It is not enlightenment, just an idea of enlightenment. And then what am I? Do you understand? Am I the word? Am I the description? You understand? Am I the thought which is the response of accumulated memory, experience, knowledge, which are all words, you follow? Symbols, ideas. You're following all this? Then my mi- the mind is completely empty, right? Can the mind face this complete not being? You understood? It is the wanting to be is the problem. I wonder if you can. If you can't, well, I must go on. Sorry. Take what you can, but you can't let go. Civilization says to me, be something. Success. Join this community. Grow long hair, short hair. Take drugs. Don't take drugs. Go to church, don't go to church. Be free, think independent. Follow? The society, whether it is small or large, is forcing me to conform to a pattern. And the pattern is my image. I am that image. I am the image which is described by the professionals, by myself and by my, when I am alone. The agonies of that image, the jealousies, the fears, the pleasures. And I see all this image is, the, is what makes the mind so utterly superficial. Right? Do, uh, do you agree? Do you say that? 
Are you aware that your mind is superficial? Or you are agreeing with the description of the superficial mind? So, can the mind be without comparison, without conformity? I conform and I put on trousers, right? <laughs> when I go to India, I don't conform, I put on some other cloth. I have to conform at a certain level, right? Keep to the left side of the road or right side of the road. You following all this? But psychologically there is no conformity anymore, because this, this urge to conform is the product of the society to live, in which I live. The image which I have built in myself with the help of others, and I see that image can be hurt. It is the image that's hurt. You know? And it is that image in comparison feels great or small, inferior or superior. And when there is no measurement, is there an image? Do please. Therefore, the mind is capable of living without a single image. And therefore, incapable of ever being hurt. Do you see it? Then I, only I can have relationship. I may want I may want that relationship. I have that relationship with you, but you may be hurt. You may have an image about me. You follow, and you refuse to move from that image. I don't. Know if, then the battle begins. You following all this? You have no image, but I have an image. And I refuse to give up my image, because I love my image. That's my neuroticism. That's my conclusion. And where is the relationship between you and me? You understand? There isn't any. You, you say you must have relationship. The neurotic person says always, you must have relationship with everybody. How can I? How can you, with me who have got a, an image and I'm holding on to that image? I don't know if you follow all this. So the mind is capable of living without a single image and therefore Without any conclusion, therefore, 
so it can never be hurt or or be in a state of measurement. It's only such a mind that is innocent and therefore free, right? The final extract this week is from Krishnamurti's first talk in Bombay, 1965, titled We Need a New Society. Because we must, as an individual, it's your responsibility to bring about a tremendous change in the world. It's your responsibility because you are part of this society, because you are part of this tremendous sorrow of man, (coughs) this constant effort, struggle, pain, anxiety. We are all responsible. unless we realize that immense responsibility and come directly in contact with that responsibility and listen to the whole structure, the machinery of that responsibility. Do what you will. Go to every temple, to every guru, to every master, to every religious book in the world. Your action has no meaning whatsoever. Those are mere escapes from actuality. So we have to understand this existence, this life, our relationship to society. And not only understand our relationship with each other, which is society, but to bring about a radical change in that relationship. And that is our responsibility. I do not think we feel this urgently. We look to the politician, we look to some philosopher, we let look to something mysterious that will <coughs> bring about an alteration within ourselves. There is no way out except that you become aware of this immense responsibility as a human being and becoming aware of that responsibility. Learn all about it. Not bring all your previous knowledge, but learn. And to learn there must be freedom. You can't learn otherwise. Otherwise you will repeat the same thing over and over and over again. I do not know if you have not noticed that there is so much confusion, misery and sorrow in the world, 
And man hasn't been able to find a way out of it. Modern day man. So he resorts to the past. He thinks he must go back to 5,000, 7,000 years and resuscitate that past to renew, bring about a revival. And again, there is no answer that way. There is no answer through science. Science can make life more happy, more comfortable. But comfort and pleasure are not the absolute answer to life. No. Does the answer lie through mere reform? No. Is there a way out through any temple, through any sacred book? I think one has to realize the seriousness of all this and put away all that rubbish and nonsense and come face to face with facts, which is our life, our everyday brutal, anxious, insecure, cruel life, with its pleasures, with its amusements. And to see if we can bring about, as a human being who has lived for two million years, to see if we can bring about a radical transformation within himself and therefore within the structure of society. To under <coughs> to be aware of this responsibility means great arduous work. We have to work not only within ourselves, but we have to work in our relationship with others. I mean by work not practice some silly formula, some absurd theory, some fantastic assertions of some philosopher or of some guru or teacher. Those are all too infantile, immature, When we talk about work, I mean by that becoming aware of the responsibility as a human being, living in this world, he has to work to bring about a change within himself. And if he really changes, if he 
brings about a mutation within himself, then he will transform society. Society is not transformed through any revolution, economic or social. We have seen this, the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, and the everlasting hope of man by, that by altering outward things, the inward nature of man is going to be transformed. It never has been, and it never will be. The outward change, the economic change, which is bound to come to this country which is so poor, that is not going to change. The attitude, the ways of life, his misery, his confusion, So, to bring about a total change of man, man has to become aware of himself. That is, he has to learn about himself anew. Man, according to the recent discoveries of anthropology, has lived for two million years. And man has not found a way out of his misery. He has escaped from it. He has run away from in some fanciful illusion. But he has not solved it. He hasn't built a society that's totally free. Built a society which is not a society of conformity. You know, if you observe, there are those societies which through necessity cooperate. Through necessity, through compulsion, through industrial revolution, they must live together. They must cooperate. They must conform. They must follow the pattern. And in that society, as, you, as, you, as one can observe, there are still conflicts. Each man is still against the other. Because he's ambitious, he's competitive. He may talk about love of the neighbour. By force he must cooperate, but through that cooperation through that assertion of loving that neighbour, he's competitive, ruthless, ambitious. Therefore, such a pattern of society brings about its own destruction. Then there is this form of society, where there is no civic consciousness at all. Each man is out for himself. 
as you observe in this country. Each man is concerned with his family, with his group, with his class, with his particular part of the country, with his linguistic divisions. And he has no civic consciousness. He is not at all conscious of what is happening to the neighbour. He doesn't care. He's totally indifferent what is happening. But yet, if you observe, his religious books have told him that perhaps you will live next life, therefore behave. There is karma. What you do now will matter. How you talk, how you say things, doesn't matter to whom. The behaviour is behaviour is righteousness. If you don't behave now, you'll pay for it next life. That's the crude form of it. That has, on that you have been brought up for centuries. And yet such belief. Such ideas have no importance in your life, because you don't believe, because you still carry on as though this is the only life that matters, because you are competitive, you are ambitious, you destroy your neighbour. So you are not at all civic-minded civic socially. So there are these two. The, the society, the human being that lives in the society in which he is made to conform, he is made to cooperate out of necessity. And thus he becomes civic minded doesn't throw things out on the road, he's punished. There is order. But within that order, within that framework, each man is against the other. Here there is no framework. Here you are not civic. You have no civic consciousness at all. Because you are, you don't believe one bit in what you think you have been told. So you have these two forms of society, and each of these societies, inherently within itself, has the seed of its own destruction. So. A religious man is concerned with creating a new society, which is neither this nor that, but something entirely different, which is each human being behaves righteously at every minute. Because he understands his responsibility as a human being. He is alone responsible and no other. 
how he behaves, what his activities are, whether he is ambitious, cruel, destructive, hating, jealous, competitive, what his fears are. It's only such a mind that can bring about a new society. And we do need a new society. And that society is not going to be created by anybody except by you. And I don't think we feel the immense responsibility of this. And that's the first thing that matters. Because that is the foundation, which is righteous behaviour, right conduct, not the conduct of a pattern, the conduct which comes about through learning. If you are all the time learning, that very learning brings its own righteous action. Therefore it is the only, the religious mind alone that can <coughs> create this new society. 